Well, welcome to episode 54 of the Let's Talk Thyroid podcast. It's hard to believe that it is almost Christmas. 2021 is nearly over. So I hope you're all getting ready for Christmas and able to spend some time with family and friends. Uh, In today's episode, back by popular demand, and I'm talking very popular, uh, is Bronte May, who is a naturopath that has Graves' disease, has been able to manage her Graves' disease very proactively and very naturally over time. Now, Bronte was um, a guest on the show at episode 20, which was last year, and it has been consistently one of the most popular at most of the time, the most popular uh, episode on the show, which says to me that there is a great need for people with Graves' disease or hyperthyroidism to get access to great information. So if you haven't listened to episode 20 yet, I suggest it's probably better to listen to that one first. Um, although we do go over a few of the basics in this episode, you'll certainly get more of Bronte's story. So Bronte, um, after being able to heal her own thyroid uh, that prompted her to go and study naturopathy. And so now she really works with thyroid patients on the full spectrum of thyroid issues, not just Graves' disease, uh, to help them discover root causes and to really treat their health holistically. You're going to love Bronte. I hope you enjoy this episode where we we, we kind of cover some of the some of the graves hyper basics but we cover a lot of the questions that get asked in the let's talk thyroid community about how to manage graves disease and you know a few special um, a few particular questions as well so i'm not going to say any more i'm going to let you sit back relax enjoy this conversation with bronte i hope you um yeah hope you really love it Welcome to Let's Talk Thyroid, where we explore different aspects of living a healthy thyroid lifestyle, positively and practically, to help you thrive and not just survive. Join me, Annabelle Bateman, your host, and Let's Talk Thyroid. The information presented and discussed in this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease and should not be used as a substitute for proper advice from a qualified professional. If you are still looking for a Christmas present for yourself or a loved one, you might want to consider grabbing a copy of the What Annabelle Cooks cookbook, which is all gluten, grain, and dairy-free. I have uh, not too many physical copies left, actually. So if you're in Australia and you'd like to get a copy of that for yourself or a friend, please head to annabellebateman.com forward slash shop and order that. And... If you would like to book in a thyroid strategy session, you might even want to ask for one, a gift voucher uh, for one for um, maybe for Christmas so that you can start the new year with a, with a strategy, with a thyroid strategy. Then again, you can book that or have someone purchase that through the website and um, uh, yeah, just contact me if you don't want to book it in straight away, but you just want to have that sitting there for the new year when you're ready to dive in and take control and make a bit of a plan for your thyroid health. So sit back, relax, enjoy this episode with Bronte. Well, welcome Bronte back to the Let's Talk Thyroid podcast. You're my first guest to come back for a second time. So thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, look, we're going to talk, dive right into graves and hyperthyroidism. Uh, this uh, your episode that we did last previously is episode twenty. So, uh, for those listening, you'll definitely want to go back and listen to that. Uh, has been one of the most, and at times the most popular of all the episodes of the podcast so far. So I know that there's a you know you've got lots of valuable information to share, and people with graves and hyperthyroidism just don't seem to have the same wealth of or access to as much information as say the Hashimoto's side. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, so true. Yeah. So why don't we do a quick recap, Bronte, just tell us a little bit about, you know, who you are, what you do, how did you, you know, come to, you know, you know, that your graves story and then we'll take it from there. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. Um, So, oh gosh, how long ago now? Maybe about 10 years ago now, I was diagnosed with overactive thyroid, so hyperthyroidism. 
and I set out to heal myself naturally, although I was on the medication as well, but I went and did Ayurvedic and acupuncture at the same time. And then when I started to wean off the medication from the support from Ayurvedic, I moved over to Chinese med, so I was taking Chinese herbs. And then after a couple of years, I stopped taking the herbs. I moved into state and had a really stressful period, moved back into Victoria um, and had a relapse. And it was pretty severe. Like I had a bracing heart, um, rash all over my body, loads of other symptoms. I won't go into a long story because people can go back and listen to the other podcasts. But essentially I had a relapse, was diagnosed with Graves. Um, and the endocrinologist gave me two options, well, kind of three options, that I could have my thyroid removed, have radioactive iodine, or if I stayed on the medication, um, there was risk to stay on medication longer than 12 months for the anti-thyroid medication. He said, don't worry, you've got six weeks to think about it. Um, And long story short, I just decided to, through the help of a friend, decided to change my diet. Um, And when I went back, I told the endo that that's what I decided. He told me I was crazy. Um, And then a couple of months after that, um, I went back and all my antibodies had reduced dramatically and my thyroid was back in normal range, although I was on thyroid meds. So that would have brought the thyroid function back into range, but it doesn't treat the antibodies. So just changing the diet reduced that. And I was like, wow. And my endo was like, nah, that was just that was just lucky. Like there's no scientific research um, that it's from your diet. Um, But I just kept on my path of trying to unravel, okay, is it just diet? I went and saw lots of different naturopaths and then just discovered that I had a real passion for health and I wanted to help other people to heal as well because I thought, well, this endocrinologist isn't even interested to hear about what I'm doing and it wasn't even an option. They're just like, okay, it's like operation or or blowing it up or medication. I was like, okay, there's got to be more to it. So I wanted to teach people about that. So I set up to study to be a naturopath and here I am helping other women and giving them and giving them hope yeah. and solutions. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And because so we are meant to work in harmony with the body, with nature. We're not really separate. So it, it doesn't make mm. sense to just go in on one angle to treat the conditions. Yeah. It's a, we're a whole person, aren't we? So needs that holistic approach. And so the people that you work with now, do they all have Graves' disease? Are they a spectrum of thyroid patients? What's your p- practice? Spectrum. I think people are probably gravitating to work with me if they have graze because they want to worry about that noise um, because they want to have, work with someone who understands their journey. But no, I do work with graves, hushies, hyper, hypo, so people who aren't quite having autoimmune yet. So they've come to me and they know that there's something up. Um, but I do treat other conditions, but my main passion area is obviously thyroid health. Oh, and thyroid modules as well. I'm treating clients for that. Okay. So how do yeah. well, let's, let me just ask that question. How do you treat thyroid nodules? You're wanting to look at the body as a whole, no matter what. Because mm-hmm. when, when we have a thyroid condition, it's just a symptom. If there's nodules, it's just a symptom really because it just, it's just the body communicating that something is out of balance. Mm-hmm. So then when we need to look at that person as a whole and unpack, I unpack their whole story to figure out where are the red flags that have contributed to this person's physical vessel becoming unbalanced. You know, is it that they had trauma in their past? Have they had a lot of gut infections? Um, have they had a lot of toxin exposure? Is their diet really poor? Mm. Um, I even go right back into from when they were born. So if someone was not born, didn't have a natural birth and wasn't breastfed, um, that can reduce their, um, their immune system strength. So having a natural, being born naturally and breastfed increases your your gut, it supports your gut biome and that's where your immune system is. Um, and so there's so many lots of red flags that we look for, you know. Did mm. that person have a lot of, like I said, toxin, toxin exposure? Did they have a lot of illnesses? Did they have a lot of antibiotics through their life that has disrupted their gut biome, therefore reduced their immune system? Um, because health starts in the gut. So when I'm assessing the patient, I'm looking at them holistically, whether it's nodules, graves, hushies, or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So it, 
yeah, it's the same process of what's tr- what's what have been the triggers. Yeah, interesting. Okay, yeah, and then re- removing those things. Individual. Yeah. yeah, there are commonalities of things that you know I would be prescribing for someone with a thyroid condition or nodules. Do they just have nodules and they don't have an autoimmune aspect? You know, are we just looking at the nutrient deficiencies? Nutrient deficiencies is very common with any of this, <laughs> whether it's nodules, thyroid. And like I said, underlying infections, to- like toxin exposure, toxin burden on the body, stress is so huge. I talk about this all the time and that's why I bang on about earthing and that is one of the questions that one of your listeners had asked about earthing. Um, and healing the gut, yeah. And so I try to do that mainly through changing lifestyle and using food as medicine, but obviously, you know, I do use herbal meds as well and I do use supplements to get people back on track quicker but teaching them about food how can you do this Mm -hmm. with food after we've done the bulk of the healing Bronte can I ask uh, about blood tests and maybe being diagnosed for graves like what do you what's the story with blood tests what do people ask for what's the go with that so blood tests depends on what should people ask for or what do they ask for? What do well, doctors ask for? <laughs> answer that, yeah, okay. <laughs> what, pe- what should people ask their doctor to get? Yeah, so the mainstream medical model is they are generally just looking at TSH and sometimes TSH and T4. A lot of doctors, even when my clients have been diagnosed with a thyroid condition, are generally just looking at those things. And so I often get my clients come to me and they just present TSH and T4 and I'm like, you know, that's like reading one page of a book and thinking you know what the whole novel's about, <laughs> you know, and you don't. So what they should be asking for is the TSH, T4 and T3. So this is the thyroid function test and you'll see it on the pathology form as TFT. Um, but sometimes... When, that, when you go and have your blood taken and the, and the sample gets sent off to the lab, if the TSH is in normal, in normal range, what they deem to be normal range, so let's talk about normal range before I move on, what is deemed normal range in mainstream medical model is the averages of all of the tests that have gone through that lab. Now, the thing is that when we average all of those tests that have gone through there, most of the people who are getting their blood tested are not deemed healthy they're not in optimal range, right? So there's a difference between in the medical model range and then there's optimal range is what we as functional practitioners look at. So, yeah, so if the TSH is within their range, then oftentimes they won't go ahead and test the um, T4 and T3. Well, they might just do the T4 and leave out the T3 because that's the system that they need to follow. And so it's frustrating because oftentimes my clients, even myself, have had to go back to go and have blood taken again to try and get the T3 and T4. Um, So, yeah, so that's the thyroid function. Then um, we often like to look at reverse T3 as well. So sometimes when somebody is in, um, we can look at it if you're overactive or underactive, but for some people who are underactive, there is, and it's caused by stress and inflammation in the body, the body will shunt off the T4 into reverse T3, but not convert it into T3. So they might have a lot of T4 or maybe they don't have enough either way, but it's getting shunted off into reverse T3. And this happens, like I said, when there's inflammation um, and, and high stress, which is why managing stress is important. Then the other factors we're looking at is the antibodies. Now, this is the thing that doctors don't generally test the antibodies unless the TSH goes out of range. Then they'll go and test the T3, T4 and they go, oh, okay, something's going on here. And then they might look at the antibodies. So it's a bit of a process and that in that time that person could have been healing and the antibodies often, not all times, they go out of range and they're present, I should say, before the thyroid goes out of, out of, um, out of balance. So what we should be doing is looking at the antibodies first, but that's not how the mainstream medical model is because they don't have a treatment for the antibodies. So when the thyroid goes out of balance, they just go, okay, this part of the body's not working, so let's just take it out and give them medication. So what are the antibodies called that if you've got Graves or hyperthyroidism, yeah. are they different to the Hashimoto's antibodies? 
So there's TPO, thyroid peroxidase antibodies, and there's TG antibodies, thyroglobulin antibodies. Mm -hmm. And these are present in Hushies and Graves. And then there is thyroid stimulating immunoglobulin, the TSI. That's more prominent in Graves. Mm -hmm. Or there is TRAB antibodies as well, TSH receptor antibodies. It's the same thing as TRAB. It's like the nickname is TRAB. Okay. Um, so that's probably more present in Graves as well. So if the person has Graves, it's an I, it's a good idea to either test the TSI or the TRAB, one or the other. You don't need to do both. Okay. Um, yeah. I like to look at TSI, but a lot of my clients present the TRAB and that's fine. But you want to keep an eye on that because you want to make sure that those antibodies are coming down with whatever treatment that you're that you're doing to reverse your condition. But we also want to look at the TPO antibodies and the TG antibodies as well. But if it's Hushies, generally we're just looking at the TG and the, um, the TPO antibodies. Yeah, yes. okay. But you want to be asking for all of those. So that's just to do with the thyroid. Mm-hmm. Then I want to go and look at thyroid cofactors as well. So we want to look at zinc, iron, selenium, um, iodine as well. So without testing that. And I've had doctors say to me, well, I don't really know how to interpret that test. I said, it's fine. Could you please run it because I can interpret it. Yeah, so that's looking for those nutritional deficiencies. And would vitamin D be in that category as well? Yes, I look at vitamin D. It's very important for healing, especially when there's an autoimmune aspect, but most people are deficient. So on vitamin D, the range, remember I spoke about the lab ranges, Mm -hmm. it's from 50 nmol per litre, nanomoles per litre, I think it is. Um, So, yeah, that's deficient. That's not optimal range. So we want it over 100 Mm. is where it should be. So if someone has even got 75, that's still considered deficient. I mean, it's not greatly deficient, but I've had clients come to me that are like 45 and I'm like, whoa. Yeah, we need to get vitamin D up. Let's talk a little bit about that, though, because that is very important for overall health, not just thyroid. So whoever listens into this and it, they can relate it to any of their family members. We have been made afraid of the sun, you know. And, yes, you know, like people like me, I'm quite white. I can burn very easily. But if you just go out for five, ten minutes near the middle of the day, just to get that UV exposure to be able to create vitamin D. So vitamin D is actually a hormone. So when we get exposed to the sun, there are, it, it goes through a process to create vitamin D. Yeah. So it's important. Or if you don't want to go out in the middle of the day or you can't, because I would just go sit out on my lunch break, um, just go out a little bit in the morning and in the afternoon, but you might need more time for that sun exposure. But the darker your skin, the more time you need. So someone like you or I, five, ten minutes might be enough, but if we had darker beautiful skin then we would need more time 20 30 minutes perhaps yeah but you can break that up yeah and it is I know because my doctor's given me that advice in the past yeah five to ten minutes in the middle of the day when everyone says you shouldn't be out the sun you should be out the sun with as much skin exposed particularly fatty parts of your body so I always say you know lift your shirt up get your you know tummy my tummy it's got fair amount of fat stores in there is that with, is that what you would say too, if you can expose as much skin to the sun short, very short periods of time? Yes, but people who are in like for Australia, the more southern states where they don't get as much sunlight and it's not as strong mm-hmm. and in the winter time, I always say to expose your forearms because that's ah. where you're going to be able to get more of the UV to, to produce vitamin D. Oh, that's so, yeah, interesting. Just, just roll up, yeah, roll up your sleeves and put your forearms out. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, that's good. I hadn't heard that. That's well, that's practical, isn't it? Too, if you're in the yeah. middle of Melbourne or something, I suppose you're probably not going to want to strip off in the middle of Queensland. <laughs> yeah, up here it's like I've got half my clothes off anyway. It's too hot. We don't get this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's really helpful because yeah, I know vitamin D is super important. Uh, so yeah, we've got lots of questions that have come in, you know, from the Let's Talk Thyroid community about. Graves disease, and some of them are, are general questions like, you know, how do I? How, maybe this is not an easy question, but a general question like, how do I manage Graves disease long term? How? So, how would you, just in general terms, like, how would you see that the management of Graves disease long term? 
Yes. So there is a process to heal and it it can feel quite strict or restrictive for some and that comes back to mindset, which is what I coach my clients through. Mm -hmm. But essentially what I teach my clients is this is lifestyle change. It's not going to be as restrictive as that first three months of healing, three to four months. You can start to loosen it a little bit. Um, but there needs to be consistency across all of your foundations of health. Yeah. So your main, I think I spoke, may have spoken about this in the last podcast is your main foundations of health is like, if you think of it like a legs of the chair. So there is your sleep, your nutrition, your movement and your stress management. There is also the other aspect of the emotional side and healing um, suppressed traumas and things like that. Um, relationship with self and others, relationship with something um, greater than self whatever your belief system is. So that is like the other aspects. Um, But the four main pillars are those four that I mentioned. So the sleep, nutrition, movement, and stress management. So you want to be really consistent in managing those areas. So you'll notice, and I have noticed in my own healing, that when I drop the ball on one of those, oh, I can notice changes in my health or I will see it in my lab results. Yeah, so that's the main things. And so then... Obviously, upon that healing journey, like I said, everybody's red flags are different. We're just going to label them red flags or whatever your nurture spots are. So was it, you know, a higher exposure to toxins? Did you grow up on a farm where there was crop strain and you were exposed to toxins all the time? Um, Did you grow up when you didn't have very great nutrition? You know, were you always eating takeout? Did you have a lot of antibiotics that we need to work on gut health? Um, So it is case by case but it's coming back to what I said earlier in this episode of looking at nutrient deficiencies, gut health, infections, toxin load. Um, Yeah. Stress. Yeah. Yeah. Stress. We, I think, you know, every episode (laughs) I talk to people, stress, stress, stress. Um, And it's a tricky one, particularly since 2020. Like even if your lifestyle is not that stressful, you are picking up on the collective stress. So it's really important that you have practices or learn practices where you can process that energy because that stress and that emotion is just energy and it's either stuck or it's in motion, right? So we want it to be in motion. We want it to move. We want it to move through us. We don't want to suppress it. Don't be afraid of of your emotions, you know. We have have a grand spectrum of emotions and we should be able to um, feel them freely, whether that's sadness or anger or frustration. Well, maybe we're talking about stress, we, you mentioned the earthing earlier uh, and that was one of the questions was, you know, what is earthing or walking barefoot on the earth? Do you want to explain that and how that connects in with stress? So the earth has these, has a negative charge energy. And so when we connect our bare skin, so whether you want to lie on the earth, I do that sometimes as well, just plug myself on the earth. But if you're just putting your bare feet on the ground, because we walk around with shoes on all the time. So we're not actually connecting to the earth. But when we do with our bare feet, we pick up on those negative ions and it, um, it oh, how do I say, it creates a stable um, internal bioelectrical field for us. So it stabilizes our own internal bioelectrical field. And so then that creates more balance within our body overall through all systems. So it can reduce our pain. It can improve our sleep. It can reduce inflammation, um, give us more energy, um, improve our blood flow. And just like I said, greater overall wellness and well-being. I, I guess it's as simple as take your shoes off and walk outside on the grass. Is that is, yeah. is as simple as that? Yeah, I mean, I always say to my clients, I'm a bit of a two birds, one stone kind of gal. <laughs> Got to get back the to sun, <laughs> the vitamin D yeah, and the earthing. So I'll go sit outside and eat my lunch. It's in the middle of the day. I'm getting some vitamin D. I have bare feet on the ground and I might be listening to some chill out music or, or maybe just the birds um, or a book or something. But yeah, just earth. Yeah. I do that in the morning when I have my bone broth. I do it when I have lunch. And I sometimes do it between clients. If I'm feeling that my energy is not aligned and grounded between clients um, or if I've had too many back-to-backs, I'll just be like, oof, okay, I just need to go and stand on the ground and take a couple of deep breaths and realign my energy. And you can feel the difference when you do it often. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's become part of a, a lifestyle for you. Yeah, it has because I feel the difference. And I think when you commit to it daily and you start to get the benefits, you'll understand 
I challenge all the listeners listening to this, do it every day for two weeks, just two weeks, and you'll notice a difference. You'll probably notice a difference before then. Um, And I often get asked, how long should I be doing it for? Well, five minutes is better than zero minutes. (laughs) But ultimately, you, you know, at least 20 minutes. Some people say at least 30 minutes. But like I said, something's better than nothing. I always tell my clients, progress over perfection. Just try. Yeah. And five minutes can be six minutes, could be seven minutes. Yeah. You build up slowly because totally. it's about the habit. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, have you read the book Atomic Habits? No. Ah, you'd like it. I, I think it's called Atomic Habits by James Clear. And he's atomic meaning really, really small. So he's, he is very popular book. Uh, it's basically about building in little tiny habits that, and habit stacking which is exactly what you described. So, you know, you're doing your vitamin D and your earthing and eating your lunch and meditating because you're already eating your lunch. So why don't you do something while you're eating your lunch? So it's about habit stacking and tiny little things. You're better off, like you said, five minutes is better than zero minutes. One minute is better than zero minutes. So you build, but if you do one minute or five minutes a day, it becomes, maybe it will become 15 minutes. Yeah. If you try to do 15 minutes, it probably won't happen. So, yeah, it's really yeah, helpful. It's totally. People like, if, yeah, when you're setting goals for yourself, if you set a big goal and try to achieve that, it can be overwhelming. Whereas if we achieve, like you just said, start small and then build on that. Yeah, so even with your exercise, even if it's just five minutes of yoga stretching a day and that's where you start and then you start to be like, oh, my gosh, it's still so good to move my body every day. And you're going to stretch it out. You're like, hang on, you might go for a walk. Oh, I might just like get a kettlebell and do a couple of squats or something, you know, and just keep building on it. Yeah. Well, I think exercise is a good example because one of the things he says is you've got to remove the impediment. So think about what's actually, so say with exercise, what actually gets in the way. And so I was thinking about this after I read the book. And for me, I mean, exercise has probably has been, uh, it's probably my least favorite part of the whole lifestyle <laughs> thing. But, and I thought, why is that? Like, what is, what are some of the barriers? And some of it is literally just putting on exercise gear and the hassle of putting on shoes. And like, I've just, uh, it sounds ridiculous and sounds so lazy, no, not at all. but that's the reality. And so in the end, what I decided to do, I mean, we've got a, we've got a pretty good home gym set up in our house. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to exercise in my pajamas because then I'm not getting changed. And, uh, you know, depending on what I'm doing, I'll put a bra on, you know, but I'm literally going from the bedroom to the gym. I've eliminated the need to put tight clothes on, you know, yank them, you know, all of that, that even do the shoes up. Yeah. I can get on my Pilates machine. I can do some stretches. I can, yeah, I don't, it's just taking the barrier, removing the barriers. And so I'm more likely to do something. And if I'm just doing rehab exercises that the physio had given me, and if I do that for 10 minutes, that's enough. That's okay. Cause I'm doing it every day, not thinking, Oh, I've got to go into the gym and I've got to do 45 minutes on the treadmill and you know, blah, 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 blah. So. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I love that. But I also, I just want to add a little bit into that about the got to, you know, um, there's so many things that we get to, not that we have to do. Like, you know, we get to cook nutritious food because we have the option to do so. Some people don't. Some people don't even have food to eat today. You know, some people can't exercise because they have a spinal cord injury or they have a really severe illness where they just don't, they can't even get out of bed, you know, or they have some sort of impairment that they can't um, move their body. And so that's why I practice that gratitude of, Oh, I'm so grateful. Like every time I exercise and I do my stretching at the end, I sit there in gratitude. I give gratitude to God for my ability to move my body and for my healthy body that is supporting me to have this human experience. So I think it's coming back to that as well. And there was something else I wanted to say about the exercising. Oh, do something that brings you joy. Like, gosh, if getting on the treadmill is not your joy, it's not my joy. I don't really do a lot of cardio. I like to get in there and I do active movements and stuff when I go to the gym. And then I have days where I'm just more slow and flow and I do yoga, particularly around my bleed. I won't go and lift weights and I won't go and and smash my body at all. Not that I ever really smash my body, but um, (laughs) I want to be able to have that movement Mm. when I'm 88, 99 and still being able to do downward dog. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that comes back to the mindset, doesn't it? That's a really helpful. Yeah. Just choose movement that's fun, even if it's dancing. It doesn't need to be the stereotypical gym, yoga, Pilates, treadmill. If it's just dance, chuck on some tunes and move your body and just be embodied and have fun with the movement, I think. Yeah. 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 I like that too. Or your underwear or naked, whatever. Yeah, whatever. I, I won't subject my teenage children to me exercising naked. <laughs> your pajamas is, is like, that's okay. That's the barrier. The barrier of getting changed is gone. So that's, that's, all good. Uh, that's not a pretty picture. Um, Bronte, one of the other common questions that people ask is, you know, from a dietary perspective, like, is there a, um, like a best hypothyroid Graves diet? Uh, what should people be eating or not eating yeah. in, in general terms? I think in general terms, if you don't have the autoimmune aspect, I would absolutely, you know, ifs, no buts, no maybes, no matter where you are on the spectrum with your health, no gluten, no dairy. It's just, it's, it needs to go. It causes too much inflammation um, and it can lead to leaky gut. Um, no, even if you are not celiac. So gluten causes inflammation in anybody's body, <laughs> um, whether you are celiac or not. So I think anybody who removes it and commits to it and just doesn't do like, oh, yeah, for the most part, it's either you're in or you're out, you know. The light's on or the light's off. There isn't an in-between. Mm. So I think if you commit to it um, and just commit for the two weeks and see how you feel and see the changes, that's very important. Um, but with regards to the autoimmune aspect, you definitely want to be in some form of anti-inflammatory diet. The diet I recommend for most of my clients, unless they are vegetarian or vegan, then we have a different workaround for that, um, is AIP. Um, and a lot of people do find that it's restrictive, but, hey, there are so many other foods out there that we're just not eating. Like if you think about it, most people go to the supermarket and pick up their same fruit and veg every week. They just get their carrots and their broccoli and their pumpkin or whatever they choose. And there's so many other things. Like when was the last time you bought Brussels sprouts? When was the last time you bought some purple cauliflower or purple carrots or artichoke? A lot of people don't buy artichoke. I don't think I've ever bought artichoke. <laughs> and it's so, yeah, but, yeah. so helpful for thyroid as well, um, but it's also yeah. for our gut biome. Yeah, mm. helps to fit. It, it's like the prebiotic, which is the food for the probiotic, the probiotic being our um, bacteria, beneficial bacteria, um, and there's plenty of vegetables that are like that, uh, uh, prebiotic foods. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's like where we use food as medicine. So, yeah, I think they're sort of the main things. Was it about the diet? Was the question diet? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah it was, yeah. Um, and I think for anybody who just for stress, 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 really manage the stress, really commit to it, even if it's just a couple of long, deep breaths before you eat, if that's all that you can manage and that's where you want to start because you're going to get your body into a calmer state, which reduces inflammation and it allows the body to tap into that parasympathetic, which is your rest, digest and repair. So I get my clients to breathe before they eat because it's like a two bird, one stone again, right? So they're calming their nervous system and then they're allowing their body to be in a more calmer state to digest the food that they're going to eat because you can eat all of the amazing foods in the world and it can be completely organic, completely clean, eating such nutrient-dense meals. But if you're in a stressed state, you're not going to be able to absorb those nutrients and assimilate them. So, Yeah, no, that's good. And and should uh, one of the other questions was about whether intermittent fasting can be, you know, good or, or not good, I suppose. Yeah. So well, coming back to your thyroid that. and how important it is, so our thyroid – um, governs so much within our body. So it's like you, on your heart, it governs your heart rate, your body temperature, your metabolism. So that's what's linking us into this question about um, intermittent fasting. So I think that if mm. you are not in a balanced state, if your thyroid is still unbalanced, you know, and there's a lot of inflammation going on the body, you don't want to cause extra stress to the body by doing this intermittent fasting. Um, one of the questions that the lady did on your Facebook group um, had to do with calorie restriction. So she was doing a 5-2. Um, it's just going to cause more stress to the body. So I think that's not a bad thing to do when you have stabilised your condition and you're, you know, it's balanced, your body is calm again and your thyroid is functioning normally at well, in optimal range again. 
Um, but when you're trying to heal, I'm not an advocate for it. I mean, you, you'll get mixed views on um, opinions on this out there. But for me, specifically, mm. I just want to bring the body back into a calm state. So I do believe that we should be fasting 12 hours, though, from between dinner and breakfast, because this benefits our digestion. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I might. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a bit different digestion. to intermittent fasting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you want me to explain a little bit about that fasting window? The 12 hours? Yeah, I'd love you to. About snacking, yeah. Because I find, um, particularly with my clients that are overactive, because we could, I remember for me when I was diagnosed, I swear to God, I could have eaten 24-7 and not been satiated and not put on weight. I was losing weight because my system was running so fast because I had way too much thyroid hormone. Um so that had to do with my thyroid. But the thing with snacking is we have this migrating motor complex within our digestion and its role is to move the, the waste through the digestive tract. But when we eat, it stops and the, it stops for the purpose of absorbing the nutrients because if it's going to move the food straight through, it's like, hang on a second, the stomach's like, dude, we haven't even like taken the nutrients yet. Like hold your horses, pump your brakes. <laughs> and so its job is when food comes into the stomach, it will stop. And it stops for about three hours to allow the body to absorb the nutrients from the food. And then it's going to, because like the nutrients get broken down, gets absorbed through the gut lining and into the body. Um, and so then it's going to move the waste through. But if we're snacking all the time, it's like, oh, okay, I need to stop and wait. And it's like nearly three hours, oh, boom, more food comes in. Oh, okay, we're going to stop and wait. And so this can lead to other digestive issues like SIBO. And so the food is sitting there too long and it becomes... Um, what do you call it? It ferments for too long and it causes another imbalance within the gut. So, yeah. And then there's the other aspects of like if you're eating too close to bed, your body's going to be digesting food while you sleep. When you sleep, you want your body to be resting and repairing, not working its butt off trying to digest a huge meal that you had and the snack that you had after it, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think you'll get more benefit as well just having that 12-hour window. And then once yeah. you've stabilised your thyroid, then go from there. So eat nutrient-dense meals, eat your dinner at 7, and then don't eat until 7. I think that's probably the best. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's really, yeah, really helpful. <laughs> I think that's good. Um, let me just check some of the other questions. I think we've, you know, we've certainly covered a lot of the general questions yeah, that people have. tend to there ask. There was a question about thyroid, the thyroid medication and immune system. Okay. I just touch on that. So how does that, yeah. 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 So when we have overactive thyroid, in many cases, the person can have lowered white blood cell count. So that can be, like, we need that to be able to fight infection, right? So if it's lowered, then we are more susceptible to getting other infections because we don't have a sufficient amount of white blood cells. Um, but the thyroid medication, and it is a lower risk, but the risk is there, it can re- further reduce white blood cell count. So before a, a patient is prescribed an antithyroid medication, they, the doctor generally or should be um, testing the person's white blood cell count. It's a general test that most doctors don't push back on anyway. It's your full mm-hmm. blood examination. Um, so that's the thyroid medication. So, yes, it can. And that can be the long-term risk factor of being on antithyroid medications for a long period of time. Uh, Why okay. when my endo said, okay, you've got these two options. And I said, well, what happens if I stay on a thyroid medication? He goes, well, it's kind of an option, but you've got to understand the risk. It can affect your white blood cell count, mm. which can increase your risk of infections and cancer. Um, so that right that. because it's suppressing your immune system or it's not, yeah it's yes lowering your immune system yeah mm, okay so um, that's why treating root cause is is the whole key to all of this. I think there was another question in there about relapse when there's partial thyroid um, thyroidectomy partial thyroidectomy. Um, yes, there is a risk factor of someone then going underactive, and I think. For me, as a holistic practitioner, as a naturopath, looking at this, it's because if the generally the patient is going to get the thyroidectomy, a partial thyroidectomy, some cases it's because of cancer, but let's say in the case that it's not, they're not treating all of the other aspects of their health. They're not treating root cause. They're believing their doctor that this is the answer to treat because that's the model that they've gone to and they've gone to the mainstream model to get treatment because that's how most people believe that they should do, Right which is fine that everybody has their own decision. 
but you want to be treating the root cause. So just removing the thyroid is not removing the root cause to why the thyroid's out of balance. It comes back to this is a symptom. Having a thyroid condition is a symptom that there is underlying imbalance within the body and that's the body's way of trying to communicate like, hey, I need some love and attention and nurturing over here. There's something out of balance, you know. I need some help. I need some repair. Um, so, yes. Um, I, I did a little bit of research to look at stats for that, for that particular question, um, and it was just a bit of a range. Um, but a couple of studies have indicated it's like 80% chance that that person is subclinical hypothyroidism. So it's they're in the vicinity, but they're not like completely diagnosed that it's that they have hypothyroidism or Hashis or something. Um, but again, it's coming into that risk area, right? Yeah, because you've had your thyroid removed and so it, you know, it's not producing as many hormones and so... Well, if you had so it fully you mean, removed, then, then you're not producing any. So, yes, you need to medication, yeah. But the partial thyroidectomies, when they've removed like part of it or half of it, the part that remains can still function normally, yes. But, again, you know, if you want to support your thyroid to be able to function on that half that's remaining, you want to treat the cause. You want to be looking at all of these fundamentals of health and looking at your whole lifestyle factors. Yeah, and I would think that you'd be wanting to get it checked reasonably regularly too. Yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah, you want to keep an eye on it. Yeah, the body has an incredible ability to heal when we give it the right environment. It's just understanding what does your body need. And this is why it really helps to work with someone that can help you unpack that and figure out, okay, what does the body need? Is there infections going on here? Is there nutrient deficiencies? Let's look at... Um, your mineral, your mineral balance and things like that in the body. Let's look at your toxin burden. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's so important to work with a professional. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I feel like I say that all the time because I genuinely believe it. Like, you know. Even practitioners see practitioners. I see somebody for my health because it's so good to get an external perspective because you're in it, you know. So it's, and even though I have a lot of knowledge about this, it's good to get an external perspective to be like, okay, what am I missing? Or to have that accountability to boot you in the butt, be like, yeah, you kind of dropped the ball in that area. Let's pick the ball back up. Yeah. Uh, but, well, it makes sense. We we can we can do so much on our own, and then it's helpful to have that external uh, perspective. Um, Bronte, are there special considerations if you're pregnant or breastfeeding? If someone's wanting to conceive and they they are overactive or they have graves. Most cases, the endo is going to, if they're on carbamazole, they're likely going to switch them over to PTU. What I have found, though, with my clients that are on PTU, not all of them, so this is not always the case, but I have noticed that they have had lowered liver function. And this is why when clients, um, patients are on PTU, that their endo or their um, physician is going to keep an eye on their liver function. Um, and obviously the other carbamazole, they're going to, and any antithyroid, they're going to be checking the white blood cells as well. But um, so then with treating it, how can you treat it when you're going through that journey? Like you've already, you've already fallen pregnant or you're breastfeeding. Yeah. There's a lot of um, the herbs that we would, as a naturopath, that we would be prescribing, but we can't when somebody is breastfeeding or pregnant, unless the child, you know, I've got clients who are breastfeeding and their baby was like two years old. So it's not as risky then. Um but what I do with those clients is I can drop dose so they won't have the full dose of like, you know, 7.5 mils twice a day of a herbal tincture. Um, I might just do it as a drop dose throughout the day, so much lower doses um, regularly throughout the day that has less impact on the breast milk. Um, but, again, you're coming back to your foundations of health. It always comes back to your foundations of health. Like it is lifestyle. When the body is out of balance, it comes back to what is the person doing in their lifestyle and their day-to-day because it matters. It really does matter. I just did a post on that this week. You know, a lot of endos and doctors are like, oh, yeah, you can change your diet, but it's not going to do anything. <laughs> but it does. You've got to better believe that what we put in our body, what we put on our body makes a huge difference, what we do every day, how we think, you know, like I ask the clients, how do you feel about your health? Like, you know, if you could vocalise that about your health, what is it? How do you feel about it? And a lot of people are like, oh, you know, it's it's frustrating and it could be better. And I'm like, okay, if your best friend spoke about you like that, that, oh, yeah, Sarah, could be better. Mm. She's not that great. Like, it's kind of, she's kind of frustrating. 
you'd be like, uh, you'd probably reassess where you want to be friends with her <laughs> or have to sit yeah. down and have a hard conversation. So I think mm. if you show up lovingly for our body and be like encouraging, like for it to, to do its best work, like when people encourage us and see our positive aspects of ourselves, we shine better. We stand up taller. We come, we show up as our best self when we're around that person who sees our qualities. So how can we do that with ourselves, with our body? So that's a big aspect of it as well. Um, but with the breastfeeding and pregnancy, you can um, have a tea. You could easily have a tea, lemon balm. So the um, motherwort and bugleweed are herbs that we prescribe for oligoractive thyroid, but it's, not, um, it's contraindicated for pregnancy and breastfeeding. Um, but then we can use lemon balm and you could just, you know, you have access to go and buy lemon balm tea. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it's not going to be therapeutic doses, but it's still going to help support you somewhat. Um, What about um, like, I don't know if you know this, but with Melissa essential oil, because that comes from lemon balm, would that help? Could you use that? Yeah. I'm not an aromatherapist. I guess they could probably put it on the Mm. soles of their feet because that's what you can do for children's safe. Yeah, you could get it into the... Yeah, I don't know. It just made me think. Lemon balm, I think. It's an expensive one, though. <laughs> it's very expensive. <laughs> it's very it smells expensive. so good, though. So, yeah, your, your lemon balm tea. Well, actually, there was a stage where I grew lemon balm because it's like it's, the, it's a mint in the mint family and just put the lemon balm leaves in hot water as a um, tea. Yeah, my hairdresser's done that before as well. She offered me tea and she mm. fresh lemon balm. I was like... Awesome. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah. And look, I think coming back to that pregnant and breastfeeding, it just highlights the importance of particularly if you're pregnant or breastfeeding or wanting to fall pregnant that you're working in with, you know, a, a practitioner who knows exactly how to help you manage yeah. that. It's not something that you should be just doing. Kind of I mean, if it wasn't like on your own surprise pregnancy and you're actually planning, I think it really pays to invest in working with a holistic practitioner to try and bring some balance back into your body and reset so that you are in the most optimal health that you can be when you conceive because you want to conceive having strong, healthy genetics as well. To, to, to procreate a new human, right? Um, but you also want to be in optimal health to move through that journey because it can put extra stress on the body, you know, especially when, like, they're getting to full term and they're not sleeping as well. But then when baby comes, you know, most mothers... <laughs> they well, never sleep. Exactly. <laughs> and then that can then trigger because many women mm. who then go through pregnancy, oftentimes they're getting a thyroid condition after pregnancy because the body will um, prioritise the nutrients for the baby because that's Mm -hmm. there's just a priority within the body. You're not priority when there's a baby growing inside of you. So the nutrients go there. And then when the baby's born, again, the priority is the nutrients to create the breast milk as well. So then the mother's underslept. Most of the nutrients is going for the breast milk production and for the baby, and then the mother can become nutrient deficient. So it's so important to be on top of um, your nutrients and having nutrient-dense mm. meals and food prepping and stuff when you're on that journey, which I know is easier said than done, but, hey, delegate. <laughs> yeah, that's right, outsource. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a different conversation. That is I, a totally different conversation. We actually yeah, did a podcast right. on that about thyroid personality types. That would be super oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've done a podcast on that. Have you? I must go and check it out. Yeah. Actually, yeah, go yeah, check it out. Let you know what you think. It. Yeah, just about three or four episodes ago. Yeah. So it was just me with my thoughts around the thyroid personality. And I've got a section of it in my book that I'm writing too. So, um, but yeah, I'd love to know what you think. It's it's fun. Yeah, I love what you're doing. So many, so many like women um, are benefiting from this information that you're disseminating and for your own journey. I just love connecting with, um, you know, with, people like you all around the world it's um I feel very privileged to be um you know able to connect with people and provide a vehicle I suppose to to share that information and that might be a nice way to wrap up because we could keep talking for ages but I think we've covered most of the questions um so how should people connect with you uh how, how can people work with you if they want to work with you and get more of personalized Bronte thyroid care yeah um so i'm mainly on instagram i do shoot those posts through to facebook but i'm not very active on facebook so you'll find me on instagram it's bronte oh what is my handle bronte may dot naturopath 
Yeah, that's my handle. And then from there, you'll be able to go into my profile to find my website. But the website is um, bronte-may.com. Yeah. Yeah. And you you do run a like a, a reset program. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So it's 12 weeks and we dive into all of this. So, you know, the first consult is like unpacking your whole health history and then figuring out where the red flags are. So your nurture spots of where we need to go in and heal. Um, we talk all about food as medicine. So I, I really love that aspect because I think it empowers people to know what they can do within their own home and using food as medicine and not end up relying upon me because the whole thing is I want to educate people, teach a man to fish kind of thing. Um, we go into low-tox living, we go into mindset, and we can go into the emotional healing aspect as well because I do um, EFT as well. Um, so, yeah, I've done the NLP coaching. Um, I don't use a lot of NLP practices with my clients. It's probably more the awareness of how they speak um, and coaching around mindset using that, but I don't use a lot of the tools. Um, yeah, but I love the EFT. It's super powerful. Yeah, and so I give my clients some mindset exercises to do each week as well so they go away and do a little bit of self-inquiry so that it's more of a complete holistic approach because if the mindset's not right, this is the driver of the vehicle being the body, you're not going to get to your goal, your des- the destination of your goal. So yeah, that's sort of what it is for 12 weeks. We catch up weekly um, and there's email support between sessions so that the person feels supported through the journey because there's a lot of things that we do change and you're learning a lot and it can feel overwhelming in the first couple of weeks. Um, but then towards the end of the program, people are like, oh, okay, yes, it starts to make sense. Yeah, you got to trust that process. And that's suitable for um, a spe- the spectrum of thyroid issues, yeah. Bronte? Yep, yep, yep. So overactive, underactive, graves, hushies, nodules. Yeah. Bronte, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you think people would like to know? I think we've covered a lot of it, yeah. So I think just really be kind to yourself on the journey of this, you know, and it's it's really I think the main thing is stress to look at, you know. If you're in a stressed state, your body's not going to heal. So really focus on that um, and then look at your other foundations of health that we mentioned. And yeah, reach out excellent. if you need support, you know, and if it's not me, reach out to someone that you feel aligned with to guide you through the process because it's going to save you time, it's going to save you money, but ultimately it's going to save you your health, which that's our true wealth, right? Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Thyroid. I would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast and share it with others that you know with thyroid problems. Let's get the message out there. If you'd like to connect with me further, the best place to do that is via my website, AnnabelleBateman.com. From there, you'll be able to join my Facebook group, book a strategy session with me, download my freebie, um, and access any show notes for this episode. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time. Bye. Let's Talk Thyroid Yet. That is the book that I put out last year. It is all about positive and practical thyroid help for the new thyroid patient uh, or for the thyroid patient that is new to the idea that there's anything other than taking your medication that you can do for your thyroid health. Grab your copy from Amazon or from my website, letstalkthyroid.com, or grab a copy for a friend who is struggling with their thyroid health and just needs some really accessible, bite-sized, practical and positive information that's going to give you hope for your thyroid future.